0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this new podcast series, we explore elements of American opera, production and reception histories, social contexts, historical valences, and more through our artist and scholar community. In this episode, Dr. Tiffany Kuo discusses the intersectional qualities that can make American opera challenging to define, according to four musicians and two scholars who are asked to share their perspectives on a wide range of operas, from Scott Joplin's *Treemonisha* to Philip Glass's Einstein on the Beach and more. Tickets to LA Opera's 22-23 season are available now at laopera.org. Please be advised that some of the musical content in this episode may not be suitable for all audiences. What is American opera? Well, defining the term
1: American opera can be a challenge because it's not a genre or a style, say like German Romantic opera or French Baroque opera. There are no specific periods to organize American operas and no common musical idiom that packages American operas into one box with a neat bow. Rather, I view the term American opera as subjective. That is, if I were to ask a hundred people for their thoughts and opinions, I could potentially receive up to a hundred different answers. Instead of asking a hundred people, I ask half a dozen, four musicians and two scholars. They are... Composer Yoon ji Lee, conductor Kelly Kuo of No Relation to Me, two L.A. opera choristers, soprano Rebecca Tomlinson, and baritone James Martin Schaefer, And the two scholars are senior arts and culture editor Richard Chang, a voice of Orange County, and the musicologist and former president of the Society for American Music, Dr. Judy Zhao. All six use the word diverse in some fashion, and I expand their use of the word into an overarching concept. That is, American operas encompass a breadth of styles and soundscapes, though everyone provided his and her own interpretation. My goal in this episode is to demonstrate that American opera is at once individualistic and inclusive. It is individualistic from the perspective of opera goers, creators and performers, because each of us has been exposed to and seek our own unique experience within this large scope of works. And it is inclusive because American operas as a collective grouping of works reflect an endless permutation of intersectionalities between American cultures and values, which are continuously changing. So in the next 30 minutes, I will share with you our perspectives covering a wide range of styles, periods of media, from Scott Joplin's Trimonesia, to Philip Glass's Einstein on the Beach, to the 2001 Carmen, a hip opera, to Yoon Ji Lee's recently composed chamber opera titled Sunday Supper. I will group these four operas among others into three main categories. The first is narrative-based Americana, the second is minimalism, and the third is 21st century chamber avant-garde. These three categories are not mutually exclusive. Rather, I use them to give us a structure by which we can begin to analyze the immense array of works known as American opera. Let's begin with the first, narrative-based Americana. I think we can all agree that one essential component of any opera, American or not, is storytelling. Whether the tale be one of mythology, say Orpheus's unsuccessful journey to rescue Eurydice from the underworld, or the recounting of an erased history, for example, the five African-American teenage males who were unlawfully arrested and prosecuted for the rape of a woman in New York City Central Park in 1989 and that is Anthony Davis's The Central Park Five. One main element that makes operas American is what Judy Zhao calls operas with, quote, quintessential American musics, jazz, blues, spirituals, ragtime. Let's consider Joplin's *Treemonisha*. The plot centers on a young freed woman in the 1880s of post-reconstruction Arkansas on a former slave plantation. In one sentence, Trumanisha, also the name of the main character, is an educated Black woman who leads her community out of ignorance and into a modernized, educated society. The plot brings to light a hunger to learn as prior to the Civil War, slave states forbade literacy for the enslaved. Though titled a ragtime opera, musically, Trumanisha is an all rag rather hints of Joplin's musical idiom is integrated with late 19th century European chromatic harmonies and American vernacular it's what Judy Out describes as quote operas that feel american with american musical elements and ethos so let's listen to two scenes from Chimaneesha in act 1 number 4 titled we're going around We'll hear a song and dance number with the iconic syncopated rack rhythm, the quintessential American folk instrument, the banjo, and the tenor singing and dancing with an SATB chorus. The second scene I'd like to share is Act 3, number 26, titled, We Will Trust You as Our Leader. It features tremonitia alternating with the chorus. Let's listen to the first two minutes of this number. First, you'll hear the exquisite bel-canto-like vocal line of tremonitia, followed by the dense homophonic double SATB chorale structure. We were listening to Gunther Schuller's orchestrated version, conducted by Schuller, performed by the Houston Grand Opera Orchestra with soprano Carmen Balthrop. These narrative-based Americana operas share another trait, as pointed out by critic Richard Chang. That is, quote, their tendencies to adopt familiar and contemporary stories. Chang includes in them John Adams's Nixon in China, Jake Heggie's Dead Man Walking, Stuart Wallace's Harvey Milk, John Harbison's The Great Gatsby, Laurie Leitman's The Scarlet Letter, and Anthony Davis's X, Life, and Times of Malcolm X. And to push the limits of this first category just a bit more by including contemporaneous styles, say hip-hop, because hip-hop is also quintessential American music, I will add the 2001 Carmen A Hip Opera. It was produced by MTV as a made-for-television musical romance drama film. I find Carmen, a hip-hopper, to be uniquely American. Deriving from the Bronx, hip-hop is defined by its texture, rhythm, and poetry that is unmistakably urban America. Recycling the well-known operatic plot of Georges Bizet's Carmen, the tale of an ostracized gypsy in 1820 Seville, Spain, whose independence is doomed by societal conventions as she dies in the hands of a love-scorned officer. The hip opera sets Carmen, starring Beyoncé, in contemporary 2001. As an independent aspiring actress who seduces a police sergeant, then runs away with a famous rapper, only to be mistakenly shot by the sergeant's superior, it's a different ending than that of Bizet's. Let's listen to Carmen's seduction number. In it, you'll hear the notorious habanera and seguidilla melodies woven into Beyoncé's vocal line, which contrasts with the sergeant's rap over a simple four-beat bassline. As the seduction is about to conclude successfully, the two characters' seemingly different vocal gestures quickly transform into an R&B duet.
2: Look, this will never work, right? Come on.
3: It already has.
2: Come on, calm and stop playing around, all right? Get dressed, come on, we have to go.
3: I don't like the way you're looking, don't get too close. I'm about to take you down the bookings. Come on and touch me, D. I know you want look, to. look i Only need your prints, don't really care about your frontal. I don't see trying to act like i'm not a cop you can bring a cuss if you would like to if that's just now look let's get it straight you can cease and desist i got some platinum bracelets i'm about to squeeze on your wrist but you don't understand the way that i feel the pain i could heal i could lose my job for this there is no way we could chill so why you bring me this far now let's try to be real because only time will reveal if you're still playing the field every second that you stay is like an hour we will i got a couple days to kill either you down or you peel i don't want anything without you in my life. You don't you forget about your girl and you want me as your lady Get to know one another just a little better than we do now Give into to everything you're feeling, it's oppressing Let's make love nah, now I think so. Your body is like
1: we- so to wrap up the first category of American operas, I will quote Maestro Quote American operas have a tendency towards unyielding realism in voicing stories that reflect who we were, who we are, and who we want or don't want to be as Americans living in a diverse society. End quote. From Carmen, the hip opera, I want to take us to an opera that is also undeniably American, but in terms of its sonic landscape and subject matter, it is perhaps a diametric opposite of Carmen, and that is Philip Glass's Einstein on the Beach. For me personally, I immediately associate minimalism with American classical music. The soundscapes of Pauline Oliveris, Lamont Young, Terry Riley, Steve Reich, Julius Eastman, all conjure a 1960s and 70s New York City, filled not just with minimalist music, but also with the crisp, clean, invigorating, monumentous visual artworks by figures such as Agnes Martin. Dan Flavin, Bruce Nauman, Ellsworth Kelly, and Donald Judd. Not that minimalism is exclusively American. Rather, its seeds were planted in America, and not only by American men and women, but an international cast. Just think of the Korean multimedia artist Nan June pek known as the father of video art. Furthermore, influences on minimalism were global. From Japanese Zen Buddhism, to the German Bauhaus movement, to traditional ensemble music of Indonesian gamelan and African drumming, all contributing to the distinctive musical idiom of minimalism. And therefore, Einstein on the Beach, for me, captures the breadth and depth of minimalism as a complete work of minimalist art. It is four and a half hours nonstop, The audience is transformed into a suspended, meditative state with repeating chords, patterns, spoken and sung phrases. On stage, silhouettes, sometimes with muted tones, sometimes full of vibrant colors, flow in and out. The experience is what I would imagine how intergalactic travel would be like, because time is relative. Let's listen to a segment in this scene, which is labeled Trial to Prison. The soloist prisoner repeats the phrase that begins with, I was in this prematurely air-conditioned supermarket. While the chorus sings numbers in homophonic texture over an organ ostinato, with two dancers in prison costume and two typists pantomiming in unison, the judge is awaiting trial. The set is in shades of gray. I was in this
2: prematurely air-conditioned supermarket, and there were all these irons, and there were all these bathing caps that you could buy, that had these kind of Fourth of July plumes on them. They were red, and yellow, and blue. I wasn't tempted to buy one, but I was reminded of the fact that I had been avoiding the beach. I was in this prematurely air-conditioned and there were all these eyes. And there were all these bathing caps that you could buy that had these kind of 4th of July blues on them. They were red and yellow and blue. I wasn't tempted to buy one, but I was reminded of the fact that I had been avoiding the beach. I was in this prematurely air to supermarket. And there were all these and there were all these bathing caps that you could buy and they had these kind of 4th of July plumes on them. They were red and yellow and blue. I wasn't tempted to buy one, but I was reminded of the fact that I had been avoiding the beach. Perhaps in this prematurely air-conditioned supermarket. And there were all these items, and there were all these bathing caps that you could buy. I was reminded of the fact that I had been avoiding the beach. I was in this premature hair-conditioned supermarket, and there were all these aisles, and there were all these bathing caps that you could buy. That had
1: these kind of... of course, glass was influenced by the earlier generation of American experimentalists, John Cage, Morton Feldman, Earl Brown, whose fundamental tenets overlap with those of post-World War II European crowd, that of unconventional anti-establishment. But the Americans' outcomes differ than those of their European contemporaries, say Luciano Berio, Karlheinz Heinz Stauffhausen, and Pierre Boulez. The works of Cage, Feldman, and Brown I would describe as weightless and refreshing without the burden of old Europe. This minimalist lineage is still strong today with composers from Bang on a Can, including Julia Wolfe, Michael Gordon, and David Lang. A younger generation consisting of Carolyn Shaw, Timo Anders, and Nico Muhly carries this torch as well. And now to the third and final category, 21st century avant-garde chamber operas. In the past decade or so, there's a new branch of American opera composers whose works continue to push the boundaries of multimedia. They include, but are not limited to, Do-young, Chris Cerrone, Taishan Sari, and Yunji Lee. Some of the defining features of this new generation of composers include unexpected venues, small ensembles with non-Western or non-classical Western instruments, incorporation of multimedia in novel ways, and above all, each of his, her, and their own musical language. The common thread is not narrative-based or a musical idiom like the first two categories, but a commitment to experimentation to produce thought provoking happenings. When I asked composer Yunji Li her thoughts on American operas, she responded quote, American opera is trying to be more diverse than before without hurting its industry and fandom. I think the culture of American opera is still based on a European tradition. But it has tried to find a way to make it more contemporary in order to go with the cultural and social change. I think it's important to develop, quote, American opera, end quote. Several new opera companies and presenters are carving out novel spaces, most notably Beth Morrison Projects, American Modern Opera Company, The Industry, and National Sawdust From reconceptualizing the opera stage to include more voices, to allow different movements, the audience is expanding her experiences in moving taxis, train stations, museum stairwell, and city parks. These composer's sonic textures are unapologetic and unchained to the operatic past. Their presenters are committed to social justice, whether in commissioning works of BIPOC composers, illuminating forgotten people, lands, and cultures, or bringing opera to the people, rather than expecting them to come to the opera house. There is a sense of inclusiveness in these new productions. I would like to share with you a couple of minutes from Lee's opera, Supper Sunday. Inspired by the Booker Prize-winning novel Hong Kong's The Vegetarian, Lee's opera features one soprano and three instrumentalists. This is how Lee describes her work, quote, the opera centers on a family gathering as recounted by the family members, including the wife, the opera's central protagonist. As the wife dwells upon various exchanges and pieces of dialogue from the gathering, a complex relationship between memory, dream, and reality reveals itself hinting at underlying tensions and sources of aggression and control. Sunday Supper synthesizes a myriad of influences from contemporary and traditional aesthetics, resulting in an interdisciplinary multimedia performance that combines Western and Korean traditional instruments with electronic sounds." End quote. I will play the final two minutes from the opera, in which you will hear the soprano followed by three Korean instruments. First, a double reed instrument, then a reed mouth organ, then a 12-string pluck zither. There's also a violin in the background. The texture is light yet eerie, the register is high, and the mood is tense. All of this is captured by the unique combination of instruments and vocal register. If you felt agitated and uneased, it's because the story is gruesome and the main theme is that of suffering. Lee depicts these sensations vividly. This concludes my categorization of American operas. If you haven't experienced all three categories, I encourage you to explore. In the 22-23 LA opera season, I'm looking forward to Rhiannon and Giddens and Michael Abel's Omar, which I anticipate to be in the tradition of a narrative Americana. Last, I wanna give a shout out to all the digital shorts produced by LA Opera, which you can access at laopera.com. It's a fabulous platform to experience new sights, sounds, and emotional depth. Last, I wanna leave you with chorister Rebecca Tomlinson's thoughts on singing American operas at the LA Opera. She writes, quote, oftentimes we are preparing a new work. There's a lot of grumbling about the difficulty, the singability, the quality of composition. And my thought has always been that none of this is important. We have to continue to contribute to the conversation. New works may or may not survive the test of time, but we must continue to innovate or that really is the death of classical music." End quote. Well said, Rebecca. And to finally conclude, I want to acknowledge my contributors again. Richard Chang, Kelly Kuo, Yunji Lee, James Martin Schaefer. Rebecca Tomlinson, and Judy Zhao. Thank you.
0: Tickets to LA Opera's 22-23 season are available now at laopera.org. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media. And we'll see you at the opera.